Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Are you in Are you fashion? In fashion. fashion. Did you see what she's wearing? The Tom <gasps> shoes. I'm Sonia Sly. My heels are killing me. Um, but I was told I have a backstage pass. You will need to get the right pass to get behind me, Pam. Like, I'm I need sorry. to go. Code red, code red, code. We have a situation. I'm taking you inside the fashion industry to discuss trends, the reality behind the glamour, and the highs and lows of a fast-paced industry that never stops. If we're going to look after you, well, we're not going to say, look, come into a, a, this lovely, safe man cave where you're going to be looked after and you don't have to worry about anything. And I'd always love for a, a man to get complimented on his outfit as opposed to one particular item maybe stealing the show. There's a style aspect around that. The fashion landscape has changed and for the average Kiwi bloke there's more available in the market including online retail which offers plenty of alternatives for the guy who needs to traverse town and country, the office and the bar, holidays and a busy home life. And one label that has seen the shift is working style. They've been in the business of dressing men for 30 years. For the type of you know, garments that we make and sell there has to be the element of touch and looking beautiful. This is creative director Carl Clausen. There's certainly um, a less corporate handwriting than everything we do now. Everything's a bit more understated in its in fabrication and what I mean that by um, the lustres are more limited and more subtle. Tailoring, say, 10 years ago, the cloth was finely spun. They'd have a luster. They look very corporate. Now with the deformalisation of, of a man's wardrobe, everything has a bit more softer tone to them because they're worn not with a shirt and tie only these days. So what's increasingly important for men when it comes to fashion is? Visual stimulation, the emotional attachment to something, the, the wanting for an item to put a spring in your step and make so it feel special. So guys do feel like that about clothes as well? Absolutely. So pleased to hear it. Absolutely. Men are more focused on clothing than ever before. You, you look at um, globally... Last year, market intelligence agency Mintel reported a 4.1% increase in men's clothing sales. That totaled £14.1 billion a year. And I might add that women's wear sales only increased by 3.7%. It's indicative of a changing time, I guess. The rise of male grooming has had an impact, and following that, the demand for garments that complete a sharper or more finely honed look. Men's wear was always the uh, poor cousin of women's wear, historically, but um, there's been tremendous growth in the top-end luxury part of men's wear. Chris Dobbs is the founder of Working Style. Our experiences in New Zealand and the market, as well as in our own business, is there's tremendous growth. I think men are really coming to terms with who they are, and older men are working around young guys who are looking incredibly sharp, so it's lifted the whole standard. The good news for us is they're buying more clothes. We've come away from the warmly lit Auckland shop floor to get down to the nitty-gritty. Chris has pulled out some images from the archives. Softer colours, beige, it's sort of a little bit of Miami Vice-inspired sort of Californication. Hmm, OK. Yeah, it's a casual waistcoat we did with a linen trouser and a linen shirt and everything was sloppier fitting and... Um, well, it's clear that menswear has come a very, very long way. This was one of our first photo shoots. Oh, God. 
So we've got our friend, our friends to help do the modelling. Really? Like that was back in the day? Our friends to help sell the shirts, our, our good-looking friends to do the modelling, our not-so-good-looking friends to do the sales. You can see the cut of the shirt in terms of the bagginess in it. Um, the floral tie, the floral tie, tie jeans, jeans. You know, that, that was okay. us in 1987. And then the Liberty Ties, obviously, are on a comeback now, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, so everything goes in circles. Today there's a certain kind of rugged yet sophisticated mood in the label's marketing imagery. It's all about the feel. A classic blazer might be layered with a fine print shirt or knitwear and more formal suiting is styled with a subtle pocket square or pochette. With the addition of a smouldering look of course, but there are still some questions that need answering. I mean we were talking about the Kiwi guy before. I mean would you say that New Zealand men shop differently. Certainly it's a really exciting time for men's clothing because it's um, it's just grown so much. It's got so much more sophisticated than certainly when we started. So many more people doing a good job, you know, and you can get anything from anywhere in the world when you want it. So it's really raised the standard. Um, but that also makes it more challenging to be a business, doesn't it? Because everybody's exposed to a lot more on the plus side, it means that you can be a bit more experimental with what you're prepared to create. The challenge when we first started the business was, vividly remember the frustration was the people who just wouldn't invest in good gear because they just felt they didn't need to or they didn't want to. It was You were having really to get them to spend. You know, it's a very small world now and Kiwis travel so much and they understand how the world works and really exciting to be part of it actually and see and see the success of some of the new lines that we've done. Now, but know, just for a moment, let's go back to the label's humble beginnings. Cue cheesy music. It all began in 1987. We set up a shirt factory so we started selling sort of a couple of shirts to friends and then 10 shirts a week and then all of a sudden we were selling 100 shirts a week to friends and it just sort of grew and grew and grew. Mum and Dad were into clothes, so we had clothes in our family, I suppose. I was a reasonably, um, probably normal, you know, university graduate. I really didn't know what I wanted to do and I had this idea to make up a few shirts and sell them around offices. Door to door. I mean, how many doors did you knock on? We used to do in the heydays, so it was Tanya Neville, my original business partner and I, and we used to, on a busy day, we used to do 16 appointments a day, so we'd do an appointment on the half hour. Every 30 minutes we'd be wandering from office to office. And, and what are you taking, like samples? Yeah, we had beautiful old leather um, suitcases with our fabric swatches in the case and a couple of samples of the shirts and our order book and all the trims and details that they could order on their shirt when they made it. And then so we'd rock up and take a deposit for the order and then we'd deliver the shirt back within two or three weeks. So everything was made here? Everything was made to order, made in New Zealand, made by us. We set up our own factory to actually be able to do it. So, yeah, it was amazing times. So I often look back and think how um, crazy we were. And my dear mum helped me set it all up. She passed away on New Year's Eve, unfortunately. So she she was an amazing... uh, She really believed that it could be done and... She helped me get people to sew the shirt. She was amazing. My father was a little bit more shaky on the subject. <laughs> he, he could see financial ruin in front of us. For the record and, you know, for the nation, I was, a pretty, I was pretty all over the shop as a young man at that age, so I really need this. that's what I needed to, you know, forge my career. I'd had a job in a corporate and I'd been fired unceremoniously in the money markets. So I sort of... I'm going backwards on the story but now, but I'd sort of aspirations of the... 
you know, Gordon Gecko, Wolf of Wall Street sort of variety and got a job in the money markets and it wasn't really what I was good at. So I, when I was in the markets, I realised that everyone needed a, a shirt for each day of the working week. So that was probably the catalyst to... And they've got so much money, I could see, well, you just got to wander around and service them door to door. So, But it was an incredible, um, incredible way to start the business because we made every mistake known to mankind. And so Working Style was born. But making shirts wasn't as easy as it looked. We were having to learn the craft of shirt making, which is very much a craft. It's an absolutely beautiful thing to see a shirt made and to understand how it works and the process that goes into it, the shapes and forms and fabrications and constructions and actual manual techniques to do something as simple as turning a collar, uh, which you do in the manufacturing process. So the first, I apologise to anyone who might have purchased a shirt through that period because there's certainly the odd quality problem that came along, you know, where buttons seemed to come off at too high a rate and it was learning how to manufacture, learning how to run a business. We had a minus $6,000 overdraft when we started the business straight out of university, so it was all about generating cash flow, mm-hmm. getting orders and being able to make the product and then deliver it. Oh, and this is the other mistake. 2004, we had a little dalliance into women's wear. Oh, did you? Yeah. And how did that go? Oh, it, was, it was torturous. But we made fantastic clothes, but we had this network and troop of fantastic men who weren't good at selling them. If we were going to be successful in it, we had to completely change the culture of our business and take the testosterone out of what we were doing in menswear. So it was like Michael Hill's jeweller doing shoes. It was We were very unsuccessful with it. But the clothes were fantastic. Yeah, like now I vaguely remember mm. that you had women's wear, and I remember yeah. it was very like, well, beautifully tailored. Oh, it just about killed us. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It almost killed the business. Well, yeah, and oh. us. It was just a... So whose idea was it? Oh, I, I think you'd better ask Chris, ask Chris that. I think it was white. We had a designer working with us at the time, and he was mad keen on it as an idea. Well, look, we all supported it and did it, and we actually did okay out of it. Yeah. But it was an interesting story about diversification, how I believe actually personally that Hugo Boss have done it. You know, they were the, the dominant menswear brand in the world. The reason that women's wear didn't work for the label came down to many things, including, well, the different way that women shop. If we're going to look after you, well, we're not going to say, look, come into a, a, this lovely, safe man cave where you're going to be looked after and you don't have to worry about anything, and I think it's a completely different scenario. Some brands can do it. It just really depends where you've come from and where you want to go. If you want to be the best at something, which we, we believe we are the best at menswear, you can't be the best at both. We survived it, but what, what was probably most paramount with that is we were fighting with our best people about the direction of the company because they weren't comfortable selling women's wear. So I is, would be a classic example. I'm a man's man. I can relate to men. I can work with men. I'm, that's, it's not a sexist comment. It's just who we are and how we, what makes us tick. When it came to working with a woman in a um, consultative wardrobe capacity, I felt very inadequate. I, didn't, I felt, felt I didn't have the skills that, to be able to direct or advise uh, that woman about what she should be doing with her uh, wardrobe requirements. So whether I could have achieved it with upskilling, I don't know. But I mean, I've talked to a number of designers whose businesses are, in some instances, global now. Yeah. But, I mean, for you, what did you foresee for yourself and for working style? Yeah, nothing like we've ended up with, which is incredibly humbling to be able to say I didn't think we'd ever... Will one be still here um, 30 years on and 30 years down the 
track and then to to be viewed by many as you know um, the best in our market. So no, I, um, what did I view at the time? I, I was just more thinking week to week, month to month. I think, and I had a passion for clothing, and I uh, I love the whole industry, which I still do. And I'm, I'm genuinely in awe of the amazing people who work for us, who still work for us, and do an incredible job. You know. What do you see? for the future of the brand because fashion is always about looking forward and as a business you can't not do it well it's a big question yeah we we, we often talk about um, menswear is about evolution women's wear is about revolution but your point is still very, a very fair one that it is a fast moving industry and you've got to be ahead of it so we have great plans for the future we, we, we want to have a foray offshore with our trunk show network and actually find out, get the feedback just like we did when we first started the business in terms of Sydney, Melbourne, Singapore Los Angeles, we want to go into these cities and come home with some money after having sold a bunch of clothing to, to a new bunch of people and we want to learn about what they want and, and what they need so that's where we think our future will be That was Chris Dobbs, and you also heard Carl Clausen from menswear label Working Style. My Heels Are Killing Me is presented and produced by me, Sonia Sly, and this episode was engineered by William Saunders. The podcast is also available on the RNZ app, iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify, and you can also head to the RNZ series and podcast page to find heaps of other great podcasts too, including Flying Solo, a series about solo parenting. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.